All right. Hey, I'm excited to teach 12th. Um, I was supposed to do this like two months ago, and then I lost my voice, and I couldn't. And so this is kind of my makeup day, and so I'm glad, I'm glad I get to be here as I fling my notes all over the stage. All right. Um, I want to start by just saying that what I'm going to talk about today is a tool that was brought to me my first couple years in ministry, and it was so helpful to me, not just in ministry, but just in my walk with Jesus. And it really changed the way that I followed Jesus. It impacted my faith in a big way. And so I hope that it can do that for you today. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a tool called the cycle of grace. And around you, there's probably a card. There's a lot up here because um, I guess I spit when I preach. Nobody sits up front. But there's cards everywhere. So if you don't have one, find one. Hopefully there's one near you, but that is yours to take and mark and keep and make notes on, but we want you to take that home with you today, and we'll be referencing that quite a bit. Okay, let me start by asking you a question, Um, and the question is kind of for the husbands out there. Husbands, do your wives ever just expect you to be like Chip Gaines? Do they expect you to just like be able to build whatever they need, like they bring you a blueprint and they think that all of a sudden you're like... You went to construction school or something. I don't even know if that's a thing or not. I got a liberal arts degree. Is there a construction school? Who knows? But they think you went there and you can make a reality, whatever dream they have. Because my wife is like this. She will browse Pinterest and she'll bring me a picture of something. And she'll be like, can we do this? And I'm like, we've been married for 10 years. What on earth makes you think I have any skills remotely close to being able to make this a reality for you? So most of the time my answer is no. Like, of course I can't do this. Like, there's no way. And um, she goes away sad, and that's a sad illustration for you right there to start it off. Um, Sometimes when I want to protect my pride a little bit, I will say, you know, Kate, I would love to build you like this 10-foot archway. Like, I would love to, but I just don't have the tools, girl. I don't have the tools. I still got my little craftsman toolbox that I got when we were married. It's got like four screwdrivers and a wrench and a hammer, and, you know, I can't build your archway with just this. It's, It's my tool's fault. And deep down, she knows it's not the tools, but she allows me to save my pride in that way anyways, because she is a good spouse. Today, what I want to do is I want to give you a tool for your tool belt, not a physical tool, because like I told you, I only have five and I can't really spare any, but I want to give you a spiritual tool that you can put in your spiritual tool belt. Once again, this is called the cycle of grace, because tools are important. And even if you have the knowledge about something, if you don't have the right tools, you're not going to be able to get it done. Um, And so just like that is the only thing stopping me from building a 10-foot archway, maybe there's something stopping you in your spiritual life and you need the right tool for it. And I think this is going to be it. So the cycle of grace is what I want to talk about with you here today. Let's talk about where this came from. The cycle of grace came about because um, there was a Christian psychologist in England in the 1960s. His name was Frank Lake. And he saw all these English missionaries going to India to be missionaries, going to the mission field in India. And they were coming back way before they were supposed to. They were burning out, coming home, and just like, they were just burnt to a crisp. Like, couldn't get the job done, couldn't make it out there. And it wasn't just one or two families. It was a lot of people. And so he asked himself, what in the world is happening? Why Why is this happening? There's got to be an underlying reason, so what is it? So he got together with his friend, Emil Brunner, and they began to look at the life of Christ and search for an answer. They said, there's got to be something about Christ's life where he was able to serve and not burn out. And these missionaries are obviously not doing it. So what is that? The question, they said, how can a life be lived fully for Jesus? And how can that be sustained, 
right? How can somebody live fully for Christ with their whole life and sustain that and not burn out? And the answer was the cycle of grace because it models the rhythm of Jesus. What he found out was these missionaries, they weren't dumb, they weren't evil, they weren't not following God, but they had just drifted and their life rhythms no longer reflected the life rhythms of Jesus. And so it resulted in a burnout. They were actually living in something called the cycle of works. The cycle of works, actually, it's on the flip side of your card, and it runs in contrast to the cycle of grace, right? It is a mirror image of it, and it is actually the much worse version of it. The cycle of works says, I can earn my value. The cycle of works says, my value is based on my performance. The cycle of works is focused on the wrong things. Do you feel this? Do you feel your natural bent is to make your life about you instead of about Jesus? Like, I feel this all the time. I wake up and I'm like, how did my life become so much about me and my judgment and my feelings and my desires? It's just natural tendency. We drift that way. Garen talks about drift all the time, and this is what happens. We drift and we find ourselves in the cycle of work. So before we get into the cycle of grace, we're going to talk about the cycle of works. And this is the cycle of works, so if this is the side you're on with your card, You're in the right spot. We enter the cycle of works with achievement because the cycle of works has you at the center. It's about what you can achieve, right? It's about your effort. It's about your accomplishment, your action. You determine your own value because it is all about you in the cycle of works. So let's talk about achievement because that is where we enter the cycle of works at. An achievement where we enter the cycle It goes like this, we work really hard and we're really, really proud of it, right? We work hard and we're proud of it and I have a lot of strengths and a lot of wisdom and it's taken me a long time to get there and I'm proud of those things. And if, we wouldn't say this out loud, but if we were honest, comparatively, like we see that in us and not in others and we take a little bit of pride in that, that I've worked hard and I've become wise and I've done these things and I would never tell them because that's not very Christian, but deep down, I feel it and it is fueling me, right? Deep down, I am at the center of my life, my strength, my wisdom, my good judgment is what is driving me. Where's God in this? Well, God is rarely consulted in this because he's either forgotten because we're not really spending time with him or we just altogether leave him out of things because he is not going the direction we are going. And so when we are on this achievement bent, God is off to the side, either forgotten or ignored. This is a really fun message so far, isn't it? This is really good. I know it's not fun, but this is really important because the truth is this is our natural tendency is to be here. We as humans, we want to earn, right? We don't want anybody to hand us something. We want to earn it. And so it is so natural for us to start our day, our thought process with achievement. It's just how we are. If it's where you are, you're not evil, you're not dumb, you're not lazy, you don't hate God, you're just human, and it's where we naturally drift sometimes. Now, you might actually push back on this and say, hey, aren't we supposed to do good things, though? Like, didn't God say that? Yeah, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But here's the thing about the cycle of works. It's not really about what you do, it's why you do it. When it comes to achievement, it's not what you do, it's why you do it. You could be doing the right thing, but if you're doing it for the wrong reason, then you're in the cycle of works. You're not in the cycle of grace And so here is a good kind of litmus test for if we are living in this achievement mindset or not. Um, Why do I do what I do? Maybe that's a question we ask ourselves. 
Why do I do what I do? Why did I sign up for that prayer shift? Why did I give to church? Why did I volunteer for VBS? Why did I let that person, um, you know, cut into traffic? Like, why do I do those things? Is it to serve my ego? Is it because I'm secretly deep down trying to achieve? Or is it because I want to join God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time, that I'm looking to increase his glory? So why do I do what I do? Okay, first one is out of the way. That is achievement. So once we feel like we have achieved and we feel good, then we move into significance. I feel significant because of my many roles and all the things that I do. Busyness and productivity are my badges of honor. I wear them proudly. I am busy. I am productive. I'm probably the most efficient person I know, and I am really, really proud of it. Sometimes my identity and my accomplishments, they become the same thing. I can, I can let my vocation and who I am on a soul level, I can let those become the same thing. That's a pretty good sign that significance is getting to you, and it's not the good kind either. We can find ourselves proving our worth to others. Once again, I would never say it out loud, but how often am I trying to prove my worth to others so that eventually I can be worthy myself? Because if others see me as worthy, then maybe I will be worthy as myself. I just got to ask, does any of this sound familiar? Because when I read those, it's like I'm looking in a mirror. I feel that stuff all the time. I want us to finish this sentence here. I am valuable because what? I'm pretty sure that we could all put a lot of things in this space because there's lots of things that make us valuable. There's lots of things we're good at. But I would contend to you that if your first guttural reaction was not to say, I am valuable because I am God's child, then maybe that's a small red flag. Maybe we are looking for significance in the wrong place. Maybe we're trying to be significant not because of who we are, but because of what we do. When I try to earn my own significance, I set myself up for failure. It's never going to work. God tells us um, because we are building a broken cistern when we do that. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Cisterns in biblical times were these big um, clay pots or reservoirs that would be put underground to keep water both cool and safe and clean. But when they would break, you know, for one thing, stuff would get into it and make it dirty and it would make people sick. The other thing is if it broke on the bottom, it would leak out and they would have to keep filling the cistern, filling, filling, filling it, and it would just keep leaking out. And this is what it looks like for our significance to be off, right? Not only when we draw significance from what we do, is it going to make us sick and it's never going to make us feel good ultimately, but it's going to be insatiable. You're never going to be able to do enough to feel like you're enough. And so it is this broken cistern that God is talking to us about. This is a little litmus test for significance. When I'm drawing my significance from the wrong place, success goes straight to my head and failure goes straight to my heart. Man, I hate this slide so much. I hate it because I live here sometimes, right? When I do something good, man, it fills me up. When people are saying good things about me, yes, straight to my head. And when I do something wrong, especially in a public setting, and others know about it, it goes right to my heart. It keeps me up at night. It's all I think about. I feel like I have to work my way out of that hole now. Right? This is what it looks like to draw significance from the wrong place. So maybe that's your test right there. Does success go to your head too quickly? Does failure go to your heart too quickly? Maybe your significance is coming from the wrong place. 
Okay, so we have achieved, we feel good about ourselves, our significance is all the stuff we're doing and we feel really good about it. What is sustaining us? My sustenance are the good feelings that I get from my accomplishments, right? What is feeding my soul? My achievement is feeding my soul, that I'm doing these things well and others are seeing it and I'm getting pats on the back and I know that I'm doing a good job. That is my sustenance, right? When I feel good about what I've done, that is what sustains me. But here's the thing, that works for a little while, and that works in good times, but it really masks our insecurity because deep down, every single one of us is asking the question, am I enough, right? We're all asking this question, am I enough, and we are piling these things on, hoping it sustains us. Yes, let's keep that question buried. Let's have enough good things happening. We don't have to think about that. But the thing is this, you will never be able to sustain yourself like that because you can never achieve enough. You can never achieve enough to fully be sustained. When we try and overachieve in our, in our accomplishments, become our sustenance, we're really waging war against our finiteness. Think about it like that. Like we are not infinite beings. We were made with limits and limitations. And when we try and do it all and be it all, we're really waging war against our finiteness and it's a war that we cannot win. So maybe a litmus test for this, for, for my significance is this. If I tell you, hey, you can't do it all, how does that hit you? If I say, hey, truthfully, you can't do it all, does that sit wrong with you? If it does, you may be trying to be sustained by the wrong things. Okay, so acceptance is in line. My significance, I'm doing a lot, it's good. Sustenance, people are saying good things about me, I'm doing a lot, I'm feeling sustained. When all those things are clicking and they're all lining up, it results in my acceptance. Ah, I'm accepted, right? The praise and approval of others is my reward. I feel so good because people see me achieving. They see me doing these good things. They know how good I am, and they're either telling me directly or they're talking about it, and it is like, it's like music to my ears. I can't ever get enough of it, right? I am accepted by others, and so I can therefore accept myself because ultimately that's what we're trying to do. But here's the thing. It never lasts. It is a hamster wheel. It will never end. It is chasing the wind. We will never receive so much acceptance in the cycle of works that we can just sit back and retire and feel good for the rest of our lives. It is a broken cistern. It will leak out. It will never be enough. Um, I remember my first job out of college was working admissions for Sterling, and we had to get that job because Matt and I, we couldn't get jobs at the Hutch Salt Mine. Because you had to argue with the lady about where Himalayan salt, why it was pink, and so we lost that job. And then we, we applied for jobs together. It was kind of a sitcom. Um, we also applied at the Hutch Zoo, which we didn't get, which is probably smart in hindsight. But basically, we had to come back to Sterling and say, yes, I don't remember what Matt did, but I, I was an admissions counselor. And I remember when you're working in admissions, you're talking to high school students, juniors and seniors, and a lot of times you'll say, hey, we will accept you conditionally on this, and if you continue to do this, we will accept you next year. So if your GPA stays where it is, if your test scores stay where they are, if your activities um, all stay the same, then yes, come follow whatever, we will accept you. It is a conditional acceptance, and that is what the cycle of works is. It is conditional acceptance. It is achievement in order to earn acceptance. It is if you do this, then you will get this. It is transactional. That's what it's like living in the cycle of works, and that is exhausting. If you live there, you know what I'm talking about. It is exhausting to live that way. And so your final test to, to kind of see if you're living 
in this cycle of works is, are you tired? Right? Are you tired of trying to earn? Are you tired of trying to, to be enough to maybe get the approval of others so that you can approve of yourself? Are you tired? Because that is a telltale sign that we are living in the cycle of works. Cycle of works uh, is like this, and it's got it backwards. It's got these outputs of achievement and significance, and it's got those as the things we do first in order to get these other things. See, God wants us to be accepted and sustain us so that we can achieve and be significant in him, but we have switched it. We're going to see the right way in a second, but this is, this is backwards, and that's why cycle of works doesn't work because we are doing the outputs first and expecting inputs, and really we should be doing those in a, in a different order. So we can turn the page on our ugliness. All our junk is gone. Now let's talk about what is good. This is the cycle of grace, and this is the way that God intends it. It's on the other side of your card. We start with acceptance. We move into sustenance and significance and end in fruitfulness, not achievement. We'll talk about why fruitfulness is better than achievement. But this is the pattern of Jesus' life. This is the rhythm of his life. Jesus lived out the cycle of grace. And I want to show you just one example of it. Go to Mark, if you, if you would, with me. I don't, I'm not going to have it on screen, so if you have your Bible. Mark 1, 29 to 39. We see a rhythm in Jesus' life, and this is not a one-off. This is how he lived his life, and it's what Frank and Emil saw, and what, where the light bulb went on for them, and it's what's got to be true for us as well. So Matthew 1, sorry, Mark 1, verses 29 to 31 And it says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. In 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. We see this rhythm all the time with Jesus. It is going back and forth between, between work and withdraw, work and withdraw. Every time you see Jesus do something significant and he's working hard, there's always a period of withdraw afterwards, right? It's, it's not work yourself to the bone, burn out, come back, have a two-year sabbatical, and then go try really hard and do it again. It's this natural rhythm of work and withdraw. It's what Jesus did, and it's what he calls us into as well. Let's look at how Jesus lived this out. Jesus lived in the cycle of works. I mean, sorry, lived in the cycle of grace. He started in acceptance, right? Matthew 3, 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, with, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus started in this place where he knew he was accepted by his father, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. That was his starting point. He moved into sustenance. He was sustained by his father. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We just saw that in Mark 1. 
This was natural for Jesus. That was the food that his soul ate, was time with his father. It was not what others were saying about him, and it would have been so easy for that to be his food because a lot of people thought he was pretty miraculous at the time. Um, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to make my sustenance my time with the Father. And then he moves into significance, right? Seven times Jesus tells us what makes him significance. It is who he is in the Father, not what he does, because he knows he is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door or the gate of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. Jesus tells us, this is who I am, and this is what makes me significant. It is not about anything I do here on earth to prove myself to you or to my Father. I already know what makes me significant. And then all of these things resulted in the fruitfulness of Jesus. In John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Think about that. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. If Jesus can't do it by himself, why in the world could you or I do it by ourselves? There's no way that we could. We see his fruitfulness, the things that he did, as a natural result of the first three things. It's just the fruit that grew in his life. It was the natural consequence of spending time with the Father. It was not some rogue individual achievement. It was not the reward for working and grinding really hard. It was simply the fruit of being with the Father and knowing who he was in him. So this is the cycle of grace. We begin in acceptance. We are sustained by the Father. It results in our significance and our fruitfulness. So let's look at how this plays out for us in our lives. We begin with significance, right? I start by knowing that I am secure in God's unconditional acceptance of me. That no matter what I do or don't do today, it does not change God's view of me one bit. He loves me as much as he possibly can. He accepts me as his own. It's not something I have to earn. And I am his child in whom he delights, right? God delights in you. He made you. He knows you. He delights in you. He not only loves you, but he likes you. He likes you, and you don't have to earn his smile. Sometimes we think we do. My kids do all sorts of dumb and silly stuff to try and earn my smile, and sometimes it works when I don't have to clean up a mess afterwards. Um, my kids are always trying to earn our smile. We are always trying to earn the smile of someone. It's just natural for us as humans. That's why it's so hard to accept this simple truth that you don't have to earn the smile of your father. It is given to you freely. He doesn't just love you, he likes you, he delights in you. And it's because of this, it's because of who you are, not what you do. Did you know that God made you a human being, not a human doing? Did you know that? That you're a human being, that he made you to be, to abide with him, not to do things for him. You and I were human beings, it's about who we are in him, it's not about what we can do for him. So we've got to make that our starting point. Understand that it's about who we are in him right, that we are accepted to start. It's not something we're trying to earn. And then we can move into sustenance, right? I am sustained by God's word, by my time with him, by prayer, by, by fellowship with believers, right? These are my disciplines that no matter my season, these are the things I'm still doing to be close to God, and they are my food. Not my feelings, not my circumstances, not things that can change on a whim. 
but these disciplines that keep me close to God, they are my food, right? They, I, they're the things that I do, whether they are duty or delight, whether it's a good season or a bad season, whether I'm up or down, that is what sustains me. It is not anything from within myself. Back to Jeremiah 2.13, this is what God says when he calls himself the spring of living water. He tells us, man, if you want to drink and not be thirsty, if you want to drink and be well, if you want to drink and not have to keep drinking, man, I'm living water. I'm the source. You can come to me. You don't have to keep working for it on your own. So we've got to understand that, that that is our sustenance, our time with God. It is not anything that we can do to make ourselves feel good. And then when we do those things, when we know we're accepted and we, we get our sustenance from the right place, it results in our significance. My significance from, comes from who I am in him, not what I do, right? I am living for significance, not from it. Sorry, reverse that. I am living from significance, not for it. I already have the significance, and I don't have to try and go out and get it because God has given it to me. We talked about what this looks in an unhealthy way, but here is how it looks when it's going right. Success, it doesn't go straight to our head. It gets deflected to God, right? Hey, you crush it. You did a great job. You know you're so good at this. You know you're a natural at this, right? Deflected to God. Hey, God, uh, God takes the glory for that one. And failure, it doesn't strike me at my identity level. When I mess up, it doesn't stay with me. It doesn't eat me up. It's not keeping me up at night. Because my failure is not my identity. What I do is not my identity. I can mess up and let it go because I know that my identity is rooted in something much deeper than that. And so when we are doing all these things, it results in our fruitfulness, right? Our fruitfulness is a natural outflow of these three things. Being accepted by God, being sustained by his word and time with him, and being significant because of who we are not what we do. It results in this fruitfulness. Um, and the good thing about fruitfulness is it exceeds achievement in a few ways. One is that when God is working through us, we achieve much more than we could just on our own. That achievement is a solo, um, is a solo endeavor, but fruitfulness is God working through you. It's going to be easier, it's going to be more natural, and it's going to be producing way more results than if we were to try and achieve something on our own. Um, when I am living a fruitful life that is rooted in the cycle of grace, I can embrace my weakness. I can acknowledge I have weaknesses and I can work on them, and it's okay. It doesn't hit me at a guttural level because I know it's not who I truly am. I know that I'm rooted in something deeper, and I can survive spiritual winters. When I'm operating out of the cycle of works and what I do is who I am, then, man, spiritual winters are hard because I'm not hearing for God from God, so am I doing something wrong? God, have I angered you, right? Do I have to earn your smile once again? No, when I'm living in the cycle of grace, I know that God is there. I know I will stay devoted to my disciplines. I can survive those spiritual winters and know that spring will come again because he loves me for who I am, not just what I do. So this is the cycle of grace, and this is where we need to be living, rooted in acceptance, sustained by the right things, resulting in our significance and our fruitfulness in him. This is what he has for us. And this is how it should work, right? The inputs are the inputs. The outputs are the outputs. We are accepted and sustained by him. Therefore, we find our significance in him and we are fruitful because of him. Each thing is in its right place. This was the rhythm of Jesus and this should be the rhythm of our lives too. 
So, like I said, this was a really helpful tool for me, Cycle of Grace. I hope that you will take it. Um, I gave you a card so that you could put it in your Bible. I hope that you will put it in your Bible. You will open your Bible this week, and it will become a natural part of your rhythm until it becomes innate. Because when we are living in the cycle of works, man, it is terrifying. It is up and down. It is exhausting. But living in the cycle of grace, how God would have us live, it's, it's the way that he made us, and it just feels very natural. So now i got to ask you to do the hard thing, because this is somewhat easy to sit here and with our heads say, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, I'll write that down, that's good. But now we've got to let it hit it, we've got to let it hit at a heart level, okay? Um, I am asking you to open yourself up to this and sit with this this week. As you find times of silence this week, as you find times of solitude, um, would you allow this to permeate who you are? Would you ask the hard question of yourself, am I living in the cycle of works? Do those things resonate with me? Or do I find myself in the cycle of grace? Do the hard work of asking those questions because those are things that are gonna make the difference in our faith. I wanna leave you with a verse and if you have a card and you're taking notes, I suggest that you just write the, um, the verse down, not the whole thing, but just the address because this is the core of the cycle of grace. This is what it means to follow Jesus well and to be smiled upon, not because of what we do, but who we are. I'm gonna read it back here because the print is so small. But Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, this is at the core of what we're after. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what it looks like to live in the cycle of grace, to belong to God and and be smiled upon, not because of what you do, but because of his vast love for us. And so I pray that you take this, and this is your driving force this week, not trying to earn it, not any other badge of honor, but that this is what is at the core um, of each of us this week. So let me pray for us. Father, we pray this morning um, that this will become a natural part of our lives. And I pray it for myself. And God, I just start by repenting that I make my life about myself way too much. And that way too often I lean on what I think and what I can do, and what others say about me, and my judgment, God, my my life is about those things way too much, and so I just pray for the supernatural ability to cast that off, and for you to retake the throne of my heart, and that you would begin to rule. God, I want to live into the cycle of grace. I don't want my life to be about what I can do, and And trying to earn it and be enough, God, I've done that and it's so exhausting and I want to be done with it. So would you give me the strength to give that up? Father, I pray for each heart in here that if this is tugging at anyone, if your Holy Spirit is working in anyone, that you would give them the ability too to just sit with this this week and just ask the hard questions. God, am I really living in your cycle of grace or have I created a cycle of works and am I on some level trying to be good enough? Would you just give us the ability to sit with that and ask those hard questions? Father, we love you and so we ask for your blessing as we go out from this place, that we would truly be people who are joining you in the restoration of all things. And may that restoration start in our hearts. 
God, so that we can be fruitful, not because we're trying hard, but because of who calls us their own. So, Father, we love you. We ask that we would go out this week and just be your people on mission for you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, 12th. That is it. And as Garen always says, you are sent, and this week you are sent to live in the cycle of grace, not the cycle of works. So, have a great week.